Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Swedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg and I'm excited to have you with us this afternoon. Our guest today is Kristen Brown and our topic is stress management training, the happy hour effect. During the next hour, buckle up and get ready because you're going to learn how the happy hour effect is imperative to your work zones and how to develop it for you and your team. We'll talk about how stress directly impacts your impact or directly impacts your success for the better or the for the worse. Why the number one step to overcoming stress is often trivialized by busy managers. Why special attention is required when dealing with delegation of money matters. The three core stress zones that must be tackled outside of work in order for you to enjoy full success in business. The role of commitment in stress and success and the final surprising stress reduction strategy that you are going to love. And you're also going to love our guest today, Kristen Brown of happyhoureffect.com. She's a speaker, business and book strategist, a best-selling author, a publicist, and a widow mom who helps people achieve their personal and professional goals despite the stresses faced every day. So if you want to be happier at work, have less stress, or start a business or write a book, Kristen is your power source to help you discover your right path to success using her life mapping, platform mapping, and business analysis processes. Welcome to you, Kristen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, and I'm really excited to dive in here. And, you know, as we're going through your bio, there's lots of great stuff there. And then there's a little phrase in there, widow mom, you know, that um, that you know a little bit about stress. Yeah. Uh, that little phrase often makes people go, oh, what? What? <laughs> because it's, it's, it's sort of off-putting when you're, you hear all of these great things that people have done. But it's actually a good level set because everyone, not just me, but everyone has that thing, that really kind of life-changing thing that's happened to them that often pushes them out of their comfort zone that sometimes is pretty negative and scary and really, really stressful. And for me, you know, it was seven years ago that I was widowed and it was really a turning point in my life that really propelled me to do all those other things that you listed first. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I think that the key, the key to take home is that it just can be a um, catapult. And even though it's obviously painful, stress has always got the painful side to it, it also can have a positive side to it and I'm just so proud of you for standing back up and getting going and keeping going and, and for sharing the beauty that's inside of you with the rest of us despite the fact that you walked things that hard. When we talk about happy hour effect, of course, um, my mind goes right to, you know, a bar scene, which is not really what you're talking about. But yet we all kind of have in the back of our minds that the happy hour is where people feel happy, you know. And how does it relate to business, Kristen? Yeah, so when you are at happy hour, you're really 
you're letting go of the stresses of the day, you're relaxed, but you're also really creative. You're really open-minded. You're connected to the people around you. And you think about all those ideas that have sprung up from the back of a napkin, and you know, you're really thinking big. You're thinking differently when you're at happy hour. And I really wanted to bring that type of thinking, that type of mindset, and even that type of body relaxation into our lives all the time so that you can have those moments of creativity and ideas and, and relaxation without the hangover, of course, but really so how you, how you can build in those feelings of creativity, business, and prof- professional growth throughout your day, not just from 5 to 7 in, at happy hour. So how, how do you begin developing that level of maybe comfort and confidence, uh, the laid-back level where you get to that kind of a sense. Yeah, I think so many people get so overwhelmed by everything we juggle today. You know, we have got work stuff, we've got home stuff, kids, family, our personal lives, all the stuff that we try to juggle. And so we often forget to really focus on the things that we're juggling. We're always thinking about what's next, what's after this meeting, what's after work, (laughs) what's this weekend. And so the first thing that I really like people to do to get themselves to start embracing the happy hour effect, just to even understand the concept, is to A, stop thinking about what's next, which is impossible, but just for a moment, think about what's (laughs) right in front of you. And then I do this process called life mapping, which you can even do in your mind. It's more powerful when you do it visually, but where you literally dump out all of the contents of your mind of all the things that you juggle onto a piece of paper into these different zones, I call them. And it's all of the stuff that you juggle every day, whether it's a commitment, whether it's a past challenge, whether it's something you're thinking about starting, whether it's something on your to-do list, whether it's taking the kids to hockey practice, maybe it's a book slash wine club. All of the things that fill up your calendar and to-do list need to be laid out so that you can even see what you're dealing with in the first place. And so you can start to decide what to prioritize to get you closer to the goals that you want to achieve both personally and professionally. So is the, is the life map then similar to a to-do list? I always, always encourage people to do to-do list because it's like and when it's in my head, it's a million things to do. And when I write it down, it's 122, which is a lot more doable. <laughs> so getting it out of your head onto paper has a release type of a response in our heads. Is that what you're doing with this life mapping? You're now taking it beyond the to-dos and you're actually including things like your passions and your dreams and your challenges and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. The the powerful thing about the life map and, and taking everything out and getting it onto paper is what you said is that, okay, yeah, it, everything kind of can spiral in our mind, but once it's on paper, it's like, okay, it feels a little bit more approachable because you know what you're dealing with. But then the second important part of the life map is that it also allows you to identify the things that set you off, those things that cause you stress, that cause you worry, that cause you to lay awake tossing and turning at night. And it also allows you to identify the things that energize you, the things that make you happy, the things that you wish you had more time for, so that you can start to really create a meaningful plan to shift the balance between those two. And when I say the word balance, I need to give a clarifying statement. In my book, balance is a curse word when you're talking about work-life balance. (laughs) Because when you hear that term, you see it on the covers of magazines, on TV, it's all over. But when you hear the term work-life balance, it gives you this impression that everything should fit into this 50% work and 50% life bucket. And then when that doesn't happen, then we feel like a failure. We feel like, oh, why isn't this working? 
So when I said balance, shifting the balance, what I said meant there is to say shifting the balance between stress and energy. So you want to minimize the stressors, the things that set you off, and maximize, bring forward, prioritize the stuff that makes you happy, brings you energy. And only by having that life map and everything visually mapped out can you even hope to begin to make those choices in your life. Kind of like a, a conductor of an orchestra. I call it the maestro mindset. A conductor of an orchestra needs sheet music to say, okay, French horn, you're the solo. Okay, violin, you're the solo. If he didn't have that sheet music, he'd be kind of lost, right? So our life yeah. map is like our sheet music to help us decide what's taking center stage at any given time and, and how, what's coming next. Hmm. So if somebody wanted to do a life map right now, what would be the categories that you would have them kind of sketch out on this thing? So in the life map, I have it divided into five different zones. And on the left side is your challenges. And challenges not just like, oh, I'm stuck in traffic, but big challenges that keep popping up from, uh, from time to time to really set you back. It might be a loss. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a health problem. Uh, maybe it's a money issue. It's stuff that just pops up and just makes you go, oh, that again. So that's the first zone. The second is your passions and commitments. If that's all the stuff that fills up your calendar, fills up your to-do list, like hockey practice, like classes, like going grocery shopping, um, stuff that you both enjoy and things that you don't enjoy. And then there is your core life. That's the third area. That are, is those things that you just can't imagine living without. Kids, family, for some pets go there. Um, for some spirituality goes there. For me, sleep goes there. <laughs> I've had people put coffee or wine there. It's just those mm -hmm. things that really are core and central to your happiness, to your life that you just can't imagine waking up without. The fourth is your money and work situation, and that is anything that you do for financial security. The fact is, in today's world, we need money to survive and live. And so that is a very important part of the map. And then the final fifth is your dreams, those things that you lay awake about, fantasizing about, thinking about, wishing for. And some people think, well, dreams are good, right? Yes, they are. They're very good. But if you have unfulfilled dreams that have been just sitting in the back of your mind for months, years even, they can actually be really stressful because subconsciously we're sending ourselves a message that we're a failure because we're not taking action on making those dreams a reality. So it's really important that the, that dream section is taking, taken really seriously. So those and are the five once, areas. Yeah, and then once people write these five areas down, you kind of have them do this little uh, exercise with it where you say, okay, what's your top three and what's your bottom three? Yep. And then what do they do? And that, yes, and so the top three and the bottom three, I call them the stress cues, those things that set you off, that set you off into worry and anxiety, and the stress cures, those things that make you happy, those things that if you have a whole Saturday to yourself, that's the kind of stuff you're going to go do. And when, I, when people do this part, that stress cues and stress cures, light bulbs start going off when I explain to them that they've just written themselves the most powerful prescription they'll ever get. I'm not a doctor, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it has been proven that if you do things that make you happy and boost your endorphins, that can be more powerful than a prescription antidepressant. And so mm -hmm. when I have people write down, they literally take the things they circled that bring them the most energy, they write them down on this card that I give them with 12 other instant stress busters, which you can, I can, I'm happy to share with your 
listeners if you'd like, and I have them write that down, and that becomes their prescription. That becomes their stress cure. And I, and I say, okay, those three things that you just identified as your cues, those things that cause you stress, that you know when you enter into that situation, you're going to be pushed over into craziness and crankiness. Do the things that make you happy, your stress cures. And so many people say, well, I don't have, when I'm stressed out, I don't have time. It's usually because of time. I don't have time to do the things that make me happy. That's when you need those things the most. That is, if you don't, aren't willing to make those types of shifts in your life, then you're destined to a life of stress. If you're not willing to create the space and the time to bring those things that make you the most happy and move them up the priority list. And that's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard for people. It's really hard for people mm-hmm. to make that shift. Yeah, and yet, and yet the way you have it divided out here for us, it's very visible and it's tangible and it's doable. So that should, that should help a lot. This is Marnie Slover visiting today with Kristen Brown of happyhoureffect.com. We're going to come right back and talk about how stress directly impacts your success for the better or for worse and why the number one step to overcoming stress is often trivialized. We'll be right back. The fastest and easiest way to find out which major women's events are coming to your area is to visit www.womensevents.info. That's womensevents.info. It's the only directory of its kind, and it features all of the major events like Women of Faith, Beth Moore, eConference Women, and so many others. It's free to search, and you can find it all at womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie Swedberg. Our guest today, Kristen Brown, is helping us understand how to manage stress at home, at work, and all around. And she's uh, Her website is happyhoureffect.com. You want to go check that out. Kristen, let's talk about how stress directly impacts success, for better or for worse. Yeah, well, stress is one of those things that it's inevitable, right? It, there's, you're never going to eliminate stress. It's only going to get worse and worse and worse with technology and all the things we juggle. And if we aren't willing to accept that fact and find a way to create peace in our lives despite all the craziness, then we're really setting ourselves up pretty negative experience in our lives because we're constantly going to be fighting ourselves, fighting against all of the things that we're juggling. So I always tell people that you, know, you really have to say, okay, just learn to accept that stress is a reality in your life, but how can you start to make changes that will directly impact it. Not get rid of it, because most of the time it won't go away, but minimizing it as much as possible. And sometimes that means eliminating some things that they're maybe doing because other people expect them to. It maybe means shifting their mindset so that they're really focusing more on themselves and, and not defining their success based on what other people want them to do. And so stress and the changes that have to happen to manage stress really can mess with people's minds because they they get so overwhelmed by the stressor itself and they forget about all of the other stuff that they could really be focusing on instead. And that's why the life map is really important in identifying the stress cures, those things that make us happy, the things that make us mm-hmm. successful, is because, you know, when you're talking about success, success really is different for everyone. Some people define success by money. Some people define it by their job. Some people want their kids to be happy. Some people, it's a wage or appearance thing. And you really have to say, you know what, I'm willing to take my life and put that first and let my image of success, my milestones for success, 
that's going to drive me and I'm not going to let the stress that's out there inevitably impact my continued goal of seeking out that milestone of success, whatever it happens to be. So stress is, can be really damaging, but it can also be, be really inspiring to help us move faster, to help us get closer to that goal when we have that little bit of pressure on us. Yeah. I think about pressure in a tire. I mean, pressure in a tire is a great thing. <laughs> if you don't have enough pressure in a tire, you're not going to go very far very fast, and it's going to be a really bumpy ride. But too much pressure, and you'll blow it up. And same with a pop mm-hmm. bottle. You know, you've got this pressure in the bottle, and that's perfect. That's what makes it carbonated. That's what makes it taste fun. But And you have an explosion. And the same with our life in there is just find balance, like you were talking about earlier, between the stress and the de-stressors where you um, actually feed energy into your system. And it's just so so fun and so important to be able to balance those. Uh, just hang on one second, Kristen. I'm sorry. Hang on. Here you go. Okay. All right. Um, okay. What is the number one step to overcoming stress that's often trivialized by busy managers? Well, in the workplace, stress is one of those soft and stress management is a soft skill. Managers and company owners, they look at numbers, they look at productivity, they look at, you know, all of these sort of hard skills, these hard facts, these hard things that directly in their mind contribute to their company's success. And they don't realize that stress is really impacting all of those hard things. So I'll give you an example. Every single day, a million people in the United States calling in sick to work because of stress. And people say, well, a million, that's not that many. Well, I'm going to put it into perspective. One million people every single day is 1%, almost 1% of the entire working workforce. And if you took 1% of your company's revenue and flushed it down the toilet, that's kind of what you're doing by just saying, oh, one million people stressed, but no big deal. You know, Managers really have to realize that stress is really impacting their workers and they have to take it seriously. They have to not just implement wellness programs because people aren't going to take advantage of a wellness program when they're stressed because it's just one more thing they have to try to do, right? They really have to hit it at the core. They have to bring in coaches and trainers. They have to acknowledge that everybody is different, that some people are stressed by home stuff. Some people are stressed by stuff at work. Some people are introverts. Some people are extroverts. And so managers really have to understand that if somebody's complaining about stress, that there's something deeper to it, and they need to take that seriously, that they have to really take the time and the effort to say, okay, employee, tell me what, what's going on, and they and managers need to be trained and empowered to understand the psychological underpinnings of that stress. And most managers are not equipped for that these days. When you go and do trainings at companies relating to stress, what is, let's, let's just take the top, what is the number one thing you encourage managers or bosses to look for in their employees that would identify that this is a stress-related issue? And then what is the first thing you encourage them to do once that's identified? Yeah, well, it's going to be different for everyone. And so the manager really needs to step out of their own. Because so many managers think, well, if I'm experiencing so-and-so on the team, well, that must be her problem too. 
but it could be very different. So it's really creating the, the strength of the relationship so that there's an open communication flow so that you can trust that your employees and that you are going to be able to talk to one another and really get the issues out on the table. And the fact is, oftentimes the manager is the problem. You know, people really have a problem with authority and bosses and all that that stuff that gets lumped into that bucket. So a manager needs to also check the ego at the door and realize that they may be the problem. And of course not saying, hey, am I the problem, but finding a different approach to dealing with people if they're not really getting to the bottom of it. And giving their team different things based on the situation. So, you know, that might be changing their work their work responsibilities. Some people are in the wrong jobs. You know, some people are in sales and they're an introvert and they should not be doing sales. They should be doing marketing behind the scenes. You know, some people, it's a schedule thing. You know, they're, they have to work nine to five and their kids are at home by themselves and it's causing them personal stress. You know, some people, it's a money thing. They're not being compensated how they feel they should be compensated. Their bonus structure isn't right. You know, see, managers really need to understand that everyone's different and they need to find the solution, the stress solution going to fit each individual. And a lot of times it requires something like the life map, you know, having that life map done by all of the employees so the employees can approach it on their own and then the company can come in and support wherever those those needs pop up to be on the life map. How much of a responsibility do you feel like it is for the manager? I mean, I manage a lot of people and um, listening to you, it's like I'm thinking, I'm not really able to um, get that involved with everybody's personal stress. Yeah, it's, you know, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, they have recommended that it's a dual-pronged approach that the employer and the employee has equal share of responsibility in managing their stress. And when I think about and work with managers, supervisors, bosses, company owners, the best way to imp- to get at what these employees are needing is to give them tools. It doesn't have to be the life map. There's millions of tools out there, books, resources, so that they can start making changes and identifying changes on their own. Because sometimes just acknowledging that you understand their stress is the best step that you can do, the best step you can take as a manager. You can't go into everyone's personal lives and, and be the therapist for every single one. But if you can give them the tools so that they can do it themselves, A, they're going to like you more and respect you more. They're going to realize that, okay, this company does value me, and they'll want to do the work because you've given them that, that permission to do the work. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that just even recognizing that there's something going on and caring I mean, that goes a long way toward communicating um, value to them. And then, you know, like you say, sometimes a book can help or, a, you know, a, a bigger intervention. But a lot of times just even letting them know that you care, that you notice and you care uh, can mm-hmm. really help. So if you were, um, if you had an entire department that was troublesome right now, really under a lot of stress with a project, um, what would be your what would be your number one uh, thing to recommend as they're going through this stressful project together um, as a team building or or as a maybe I always call it a, a, a pressure reliever? Um, what what would you recommend for a whole team? Well, 
Well, I am a fan of happy hours. <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't have to be happy hour after work. It could be, uh, you know, we're taking a break. We're taking an hour and we're going out for lunch together. Or we're doing a mid-afternoon uh, siesta and we're going to go, you know, have a margarita or a cup of coffee at the local coffee shop. But ha- having people feel connected outside of just the job is so, so important for teamwork, for company morale, for personal and professional happiness, you really need to find ways to create connection. And you know, so many people complain about a coworker or a boss, but if you can find some connection point to those people that are difficult to work with, you know, maybe you both own a lake cabin, maybe you both have dogs, finding those connection points within your team so that even though you may have difficulty in some areas, maybe you're in a stressful project, the example that you gave, that there are still those kind of shining lights, those happy points that can still bring you a smile even amidst the stressful situation or stressful relationship that that exists. We really are such relational people, especially especially (laughs) women. Um, You know, the the relationship part of our life is just so highly valuable and important to us and guys too. And if we can just take time to remember that everybody's a person and not just a part of a process, it it goes a long way to reducing the stress. I love those ideas. Well, we're going to take a break, come right back and talk about why special attention is required when dealing with delegation and money matters and also the three core life stress zones that must be tackled outside of work in order to have success in the office. We'll break up. Do you ever need speakers for dinners, retreats, conferences, or other women's events? Check out www.womenspeakers.com. It's the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,500 Christian women speakers, some near you, and some from every level of experience and fee range you can imagine. So you're sure to find lots of great speaker options for you and your next event over at www.womenspeakers.com. That's Women Speakers. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we are talking today about stress management, about how to apply the happy hour effect to our work, to our lives, in a way that will make a difference to our stress level. And our guest today is Kristen Brown of happyhoureffect.com. Kristen, um, why do we need to pay special attention when dealing with delegation and money? Well, delegation is one of those things that a lot of people have problems with because as a human being, we have an ego, right? We want to be right. We want to be good at things. We want to be in control of our little corner of the world. And so when someone says, oh, you should delegate that task, it's hard because we want things to work the way that, we and everyone else expects them to. But learning to delegate is so important, both personally and professionally. And I give people a couple of criteria to help them, not just with delegation, but with their to-do list. So do you mind if I share those little criteria? Oh, that'd be awesome. When people are overwhelmed by a to-do list, here are some questions I have them ask themselves, ask themselves to help them manage the to-dos, the tasks, and all that stuff that feels overwhelming. So the first one to ask is, why am I doing this task? Are you doing the task or the thing on your to-do list because it makes you happy, um, because it makes you healthy? Is it required by your work? Does someone else expect you to do it? Um, 
just kind of generally, why are you doing the task? The second is what does the task entail? Are you overcomplicating it? Is there something you can do to make it faster, easier, more fun? The third is how much time does this task take? Could you streamline it? Are there things that you're doing to overcomplicate the situation? Are you including too many people? Are you not including enough people? Are you taking too much of it on yourself? The next one is who am I doing the task for? And this one is key. If you have something on your to-do list and you've been dreading just dreading doing it, ask yourself who you're doing it for. Did someone else ask you to do it, but it will only benefit them and it won't benefit you? Is it something that you truly want to do, but it's too big and you need to ask for help? Uh, do you need to delegate? So always ask who you're doing the task for. And in a workplace, of course, most of the time, your company is asking you to do it. But ensure that it truly falls under your job responsibilities and that you shouldn't be asking for support in that area if you're feeling overwhelmed by it. And then finally, and this one is really key for per your personal to-do lists that often get really overwhelming, is does this task make me happy or make me feel fulfilled? And if the task, if you're doing it and it's not something that you have to be doing, then why are you doing it? And I think so many of us, there's like this competition to see who can be busier. <laughs> you know, oh, well, I was so busy I didn't have any time last week. Oh, well, did you last, I didn't even have an hour to myself. I feel like I hear that conversation and those comments from people all the time, and it's not a contest to see who can be busier. So really go through your, your to-do list and, and ask yourself these questions and say, okay, can I eliminate some of this stuff? Can I minimize it? Can I delegate it? It's really, really important. You know, I, that comment about being so busy, it is, and, and busy has both gotten a bad rap as well as it's gotten to become this little um, contest, which is interesting. But um, busy, in my book, and Kristen, I know from what you said already today that you agree with this. In my book, when I'm sleeping, that's busy. I'm busy sleeping now. <laughs> No, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm busy sleeping, and I'm yeah. busy recharging my own battery, and I'm busy, you know, and I actually block these things out and say, no, during those hours, I'm going to sleep, or during those hours, I'm going to work on a project in silence. And, you know, I, I mean, we have a restaurant staff. We have a retail store staff. I've got my online staff, and all of these people could use me every minute, every day. I would never have a break unless I personally set some boundaries and say, this is when I'm going to take time, this is when I'm available to you. And, of course, if a building's burning down, that's going to, you know, make a difference. But the reality is that people really will think buildings are burning down all the time unless you define what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love your questions, and I have, this, uh, I have this one question that I add to it myself is, what's the rock solid deadline? Because sometimes mm -hmm. what I find is that you know, the, the item that's giving me a lot of stress really doesn't have a deadline. It's something that I want to do, something that I hope to eventually do, something that, you know, somebody suggested that I do. But when I realize that it doesn't have a deadline, okay, that can really go down to the bottom and that can fit into some free time that I might have, you know, next month or something. I don't have to keep it hanging over my head. How about when yeah. it comes to money? Yeah, so money is one of the top stressors out there. Usually ranks number one on different organizations' research that they've done. People, money is easily the number one stressor in people's lives. Yeah. And when it comes to money, and it, you know, if people are struggling with debt, or you know, I've even had clients who make plenty of money, but they're still stressed about money. 
And oftentimes it's because they just don't know where it's coming from and where it's going. So the number one thing, and it's funny because I actually just had my tax appointment today. (laughs) So I'm in the money mindset right now. But the number one thing I have people do that come to me with money problems is, again, I have them do a map where they visually map out, not just make a list, but they map out all of the things that they're spending their money on. They create a budget. Some people have a budget, but you would be so shocked at how many people don't have a list or even a spreadsheet or an Excel file of what their money is going to every month. I'm always just so shocked. And doing that first step, just getting it all onto paper, it makes people feel so empowered, even the ones that are in deep debt Once they do that, they can see that, okay, I'm doing this here, I'm doing this here, and this here. Okay, you know, maybe this cup of coffee every day would make a difference. Because you always hear that, right? Cut out the non-essentials. Stop getting your daily cup of coffee. And it feels like such an overused and and boring tip. And it's like, oh, that isn't going to make a big difference. But when you map everything out and you put numbers to it, it empowers you. It makes you feel like you're in control again. And control is a huge element of stress. When we feel like we're pushed out of our comfort zone, when we're losing control, that's when stress sets in. And so when we feel in control again of of whether it's money or anything else in our lives, it really brings that stress back under control. Yeah. I, I like to consider the money stress that people feel as similar to a stress fracture or a broken bone in their body. Um, just as real as that pain is when you actually break a bone. You, when you are financially broken, either in just your thinking about it or in the actual situation that you find yourself in, the pain is really excruciating. It is. It is mind-numbing. And, and when people talk to me about, you know, everything's going good, it's, the money's really stressful, I really hear that and I really feel that pain. And the thing is that, like, there's something you can do about it. First of all, looking at it, looking at it in black and white is a great first step because you actually see where you are instead of where you imagine you might be. Mm-hmm. And then you also, at that moment of honesty, you have the ability to say, there must be a way out from where I am to where I need to be. You know, there, there must be a path. And I just, my job is to find it. My job is to uncover what the path is. And sometimes that's just changing your attitude. Sometimes it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Yeah, I, re- I remember the- reading. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I just I was going to say, I remember reading an article one time about a family that their annual income was $35,000 a year, and they had between their student loans and credit cards and things like that, they had like $100,000 or something in debt. So you would think to yourself, well, how does that math even work, $35,000, $100,000 in debt? But they were able to shift things around, start you know, changing their, their income, and one of them changed jobs, and they were able to pay that debt down in like a year and a half or some crazy Thing like that. So it is possible, regardless of your financial status, to get your money situation back under control with just a little little bit of thinking and a little bit of planning. Yeah, and, and it is, there's so much help available when it comes to money. You don't have to do this on your own or figure it out. You need to talk to somebody who knows how to look at your money because you've been looking at it for so long that it's hard for you to see. Now, Kristen, when it comes to talking to people about money, um, you know, we have a lot of employees at a lot of different levels that work with. We always encourage, especially the younger employees that come in, that 
you know, talking about salaries with other people isn't a great idea <laughs> because it's kind of yeah. like, it, it kind of sets somebody up to be disappointed. Uh, so we encourage our young staff that, you know, just as a life principle, that isn't a good idea. What are some other maybe best practices when it comes to money in a business and talking about it? Don't talk about your personal finances ever because, you know, it can come across as really egotistical. It can come across as, like, that you're a real jerk. You know, if you're talking about, even if you're, like, you know, if, it's fine. It's one thing if you say, hey, yeah, we got a new boat. But it's another to say, oh, my gosh, we got a new boat, and then we got a new BMW. You know, I think being sensitive to the people around you and realizing that not everybody is making the same amount as you. If you aren't making a lot of money, you know, you don't need to be play the woe with me card either. Nobody needs to know how much you make. Nobody needs to know. It just it isn't a relevant topic of conversation to talk about your personal finances. When it comes to the business, money is perfectly fine to talk about as long as you're keeping it in the realm of the legalities of the you know non or confidentiality agreements that you may have in place. You know, I think people use money as an ego stroker for themselves and may not even realize that some of the things that they say and do really rub people the wrong way. I, I worked for a company a few years ago and one of the executive team left his paycheck on a printer and someone found it and it got around that his paycheck was over a million dollars. And it was like a quarterly some sort of statement, not a single paycheck. And it got around because the company had been cutting back and been publicly saying, well, we're really cutting expenses, we're cutting this, they've been laying some people off. So then when the company, when it got around that this executive was making a million dollars, it was, there was dissonance there. It was a, it, it didn't make sense for the, the employees who were maybe making $35,000 a year and saying they couldn't get a 5% raise to see this executive making a million dollars. So, I think being really careful about what you put out there physically and verbally is really, really important because it can cause stress to other people just based on, on how you're talking about money. It's so true. It's really a lose-lose scenario if you talk about your personal finances. Someone you're talking mm -hmm. to is going to make more than you, someone is going to make less than you, or someone is going to perceive that you are worth more or less than what you're saying. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like you really can't you really will never be able to hit that target right in the bullseye for everybody that you're talking to. You're going to miss somebody. And so it just jeopardizes relationships and jeopardizes the business um, for you to do that. So try not to, try not to go there. If you need to talk money with people, talk privately and, and make sure it's people that are going to be able to keep a confidence. Let's talk about the three core life stress zones. Um, that that you actually have to work on outside of work in order to have success at work. It's so funny because in the core life, whenever we do the life map, every time, I have never, in the hundreds of times I've done life mapping sessions with groups, I've never had someone not ask if it's okay for them to X out and circle the same thing, which means it's the most stressful thing and it's the most wonderful uh -huh. thing in their life. Right. <laughs> and those things, and they, they they always fall under core life because you think about it. You know, kids are amazing and wonderful, but they're extremely stressful. 
Spouses, wonderful and awesome, extremely stressful. Money, wonderful and awesome, extremely stressful. So in core life, these things that fall under that, they have the potential to be to fall across such a huge spectrum and one day could be amazing and the next day could totally drain you. So it's really learning how to really appreciate everything in your core life, your family, your health and your body, your sleep and even, you know, your intimate relations with your partner and really say, you know what, there's going to be ups and downs in all of these little areas in my core life. How can I really learn to appreciate, love, respect and, and trust all of these things and know that it's all going to be okay in the end. <laughs> that, you know, today may be tough with my spouse, but tomorrow's going to be awesome. And, and learning to, to weather that roller coaster that comes with, with all of those things that are important to us. I love the picture of a roller coaster. I really, I really like it. I'm not, Kristen, I am not a roller coaster rider. <laughs> I would rather <laughs> never get on one. Now, do you love them? I you have a love-hate with them. I don't like heights, but I like the twists and turns. <laughs> okay, so for years, for years, the kids would go on with Dave, and that was fine. Well, then the kids all grew up, and it's like now we're at an amusement park, and he wants to go on a roller coaster, and I'm like, um, let me go with, um, yeah, me. So I get in this roller coaster for the first time in years and years and years, and I'm so scared. I'm sitting there, and I'm terrified. And that what I was going to do was I was going to remember that I was completely safe. So even no matter how it felt, I was going to remember that I was buckled in tight, that I was completely safe, and I was going to smile the whole way through that ride. No matter how I felt, I was just going to put a smile, plaster a smile on my face and smile all the way through the ride. You know what? I made it, and it was shocking to me how fine I made it because I really hated roller coasters before that moment. And we got done, and it wasn't like I would say that it was, you know, a fun thing that I wanted to go on four more times or anything like that. But yet, it was fine. It was just fine. And what was beautiful about that, the rest of the story was that at the point, you know, where, where they take that snapshot of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> my husband had his hands behind, clasped behind his head, like just this big lean back comfy position <laughs> with a huge yeah. smile on his face and I'm sitting next to him you know really freaking out but but with a smile on my face and it was actually a super fun to share and it was because I decided that because I knew I would be okay I could smile all the way through that ride and the, yeah. it carries over into this where we've got these core zones that are so important to us so valuable but they're very stressful too we feel every turn. We, as, we're, as we're heading towards the next dip, we feel the terror of, you know, okay, we're going to drop off the face of the earth in a minute. But in these relationships, if you come to a point where you feel safe and you feel comfortable that these people are with you for the ride, that they're going to be there, it really can reduce a lot of the stress. And, of course, every day you can't feel that level of confidence. But if you can mostly be there, that's the goal. What are what are some of the ways that you help people to relax into where they are? There's a lot of ways that I have people sort of experiment because that's really one of the core foundations of Happy Hour Effect is getting people to understand that life isn't 
a single set of rules or a single you know prescriptive way that you should live. I hate self. I love self help books, but I hate them also because I don't <laughs> like the ones that say you have to do this, 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 and this, and life's going to be grand. It's all about experimenting because every day the dynamics of our life change. You could do the life math every single hour of your life and it would be different every single time because the things we juggle, the things that come at us, the things we're thinking about, the things that we value and prioritize change all the time too. So when it comes to help, we'll just accept their life. Just accept that there's ups and downs. Just accept that you know life is, is going to be a big crazy roller coaster ride is getting them to understand the power of the mind first of all and getting them out of that place where they're like they're letting the environment or the things that happen to them determine what they're thinking about which then determines how their body responds and all of that and getting them to reverse that and saying you know I can even if something bad happens I can still have a positive mindset and that's going to minimize the impact of all the twists and turns and the ups and downs. It's going to make it less jarring, less jolting, make it a smoother ride. It'll they'll still be ups and downs, but that mindset is so key. And so I do a lot of work with people on just kind of identifying those things that kind of get them into that. I have a friend who calls it stinking thinking. Those things mm-hmm. that set them off. Sometimes it's the stress cues that are identified on the life map. Sometimes it's other things that they've never even thought of. Sometimes it's, you know, if the, if someone is crabby at a store, a, a clerk is crabby at a store, it impacts them for the rest of the day. Sometimes it's going to a certain meeting every month really puts them in a funk. Sometimes it's a family thing. You know, their husband gets home cranky from work and it makes them cranky all night from work. So. It's, again, it's different for everyone, but I really help people focus on that mindset and how can you remain positive despite the stuff that happens and to have that that idea of experimentation that just because you try one thing and it doesn't work doesn't mean the next thing might not. You know, I always give the example of meditation. So many people think meditation is sitting on a cushion and no chanting in a dark room for an hour, but it's actually much different than that. It's just taking a few minutes a couple times a day to clear your mind. And some people have tried that and love it, both tried it and hate it. And that's okay. Neither of them are right or wrong. So you really have to to say, I'm okay with experimentation. And as human beings, we like to be in control. We like things to be routine. We like habit. But sometimes you really have to stretch and say, you know what, I'm going to try something new and and stretch a little bit out of my comfort zone and see if that helps me to minimize the impact of, of this roller coaster ride. Mm, yeah, so great. And I was doing an uh, interview this afternoon with a health, uh, health magazine and was talking about worst possible scenarios. And the perspective is that thinking about a worst possible scenario can increase your stress. But my thinking and my perspective is that when you take it to the worst possible scenario and you actually work that through in your mind and say, you know, if that were to happen to me, if this if this thing were to happen to my family or to, um, you know, one of these other core values, what would I be able to make it? How could I make it? You know, what what would be some of the maybe possibilities? And even though it's unpleasant for us to think about that, it's a lot like taking a, uh, you know, like, okay, I think about open-heart surgery. That's also very unpleasant. <laughs> after open-heart surgery, your heart keeps pumping. <laughs> you know, I mean, you get to live. And so it's very invasive and very uncomfortable, but yet afterwards you have a new heart. You, you get to go forward with life. And I think sometimes just facing up to the reality 
you know, that, that even though things feel unsafe, if you go to worst possible scenario and say, you know what, um, even if I were to have a major shift in this relationship or even lose the relationship, life would go on. And you can even look, you know, Kristen, your life did go on. You lost a partner. And that's one of the most traumatic things that can happen to a person. But your life went on. And it wasn't like it was easy. You had to recover from heart surgery you know, and, and, and do, do all that legwork of that recovery. But you did go on. And I, and I think sometimes just facing the fact that things may not always be the way we want them, they may not always turn out just the way we want, but that we will be okay. I, I think that that's just so important for us to get to that point. Yeah, you know, I love love what you said there because – the best and worst case scenario exercise can be life-changing, not just for small things, but for big things. And for me, discovering that and learning that really actually was a turning point for me. At one point, I was about two years after my husband passed away, I was still working in corporate America at the time, and I was suffering panic attacks because I had a difficult loss at the time. And I was really struggling with leaving corporate America and starting happy hour effect. I kind of had a business plan. I sort of so every notice I said sort of like I had sort of a plan, but I could not get over the hump of leaving behind insurance and a steady paycheck because I had this mm-hmm. infant right. daughter. And, and so at one point I read this book and I'll, uh, the book is called 10, 10, 10 by Susie Welch. So I will not take credit for this exercise, but she in that book, best and worst case scenarios. And how can you look at, the best and worst things that could potentially happen if you make a decision in 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. What's going to happen to you if you make this decision? And I used that at that point in my life, and it was life-changing because when I looked at the consequences of quitting a job and the consequences of staying in a job, it was eye-opening. When I said, if I stayed in a job like this, in another 10 minutes, I'll still hate it. In another 10 months, I probably would have been on some prescription anti-anxiety medication. And in 10 years, I'd have some pretty severe health problems and maybe be dead because of the extreme stress that I was under because of the impact stress has on our body and our health. But I looked at the other side of it, and I said, okay, what are the, con- the, best, what are the worst consequences if I quit the job? Well, in 10 minutes, I'd be really happy. In 10 months, the worst that would happen is maybe I would be really poor and living on my parents' couch, but my mom's a good cook. In 10 years, I probably won't even remember this situation. And that exercise of best and worst case scenarios opened my mind to realize that being healthy and happy for my daughter over the long term was more important than potentially living on my parents' couch. So I quit that job, and it was the best thing I ever did. (laughs) I love it. What a a great story. Yeah, best and worst case scenarios and and consequences, I I urge everybody to use that in their decision-making process. Awesome. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're talking today with Kristen Brown of Happy Hour. In fact, we're going to come right back for the end of the program. We're going to talk about the role of commitment and stress and success and the final surprising stress reduction strategy that you are going to love. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Are you registered to receive the Marnie Minute? Have you sometimes missed out on training or connection opportunities because you didn't know about them in advance? Visit Marnie.com and select free updates to receive email notifications so you will never miss a beat. That's free updates over at Marnie.com.
Well, this is our last segment in this hour with Kristen Brown of Happy Hour Effect. And Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. What great content you've been sharing. Thanks for having me. It's fun. Good. Okay, we're going to talk next about the role of commitment in stress and success. Yes, I have a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it's by Kenneth Blanchard, and he said, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. Because I always have people coming to me saying, oh, I really want to start a business, or I really want to write a book, or I really want to lose 20 pounds. And I ask them, you know, well, what are you doing to to make this happen. Sometimes people are truly committed and they have lists and they have things that they've been doing to make that commitment, that goal a reality. Other people are wishy-washy and they say, well, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds, but I don't have time to go to the gym and I don't have this and I don't have that. And so that's not really a commitment then because you're not willing to change anything in your life. You're not willing to prioritize that commitment to make something real. And so when you talk about the role of commitment in stress and success, Obviously, commitment has a huge impact on it because success can only happen when you are committed to something. And stress has the ability to pull us off course when we're going after a goal or when we have what we think is a strong commitment. Life sets in, things get tough, our to-do lists become overwhelming, and then, oh, stress set in, so I guess that commitment that I wanted to accomplish falls to the bottom of the priority list. So I always urge people, when they say they want to achieve something, they need to ask themselves, is this something I'm willing to change my life for? Is, am I willing to take the time, the energy, to ask people for support? Because you, know, you can't achieve anything without the right support system. And if you are, then it's probably a good goal for you to have. And I have a little criteria that I use, goals, and asking yourself, you know, okay, is this gut-checked? Is it obtainable? Is it actionable? Is it life-oriented? Is it supported? And those criteria can help you decide if a commitment is, is if you're ready to take on a commitment. Yeah, yeah. Steve Seibold, I was flipping here for his quote. Um, he, has a, he has a little formula. He's a um, mental toughness coach, and he talks about in order to have a successful change, you need to have this equation. Your dissatisfaction plus your vision plus the process has to be greater than the cost or the perceived cost to your mind or you will never make the change. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's where people, it's one of those three things. Either they're not unhappy enough about it to make the change, they don't have a clear vision, or the process isn't, isn't doable or isn't clearly defined for them. And so then they just don't make the change. And it's so true that interest is very different from commitment. I think that everybody who's thinking about a life partner should think about that one. <laughs> yeah, right. 50% yeah. divorce rate, so people are not thinking about it. People, right, right. We're, we're getting something wrong on that one. <laughs> okay, let's talk, let's talk about the final surprising stress reduction strategy that we've been eager to hear all hour. Well, the, you know, I talked about dreams earlier and the importance of dreams. And when you have a dream and you're not accomplishing it, like I said earlier, it can actually cause you stress because you're, it sits back there and it kind of nags at you, right? But if you can really start taking action on crossing some of that stuff off the bucket list that you really dream of doing, it can be 
it can be life-changing because it adds a little bit of swagger to your step. You know, think about if you've ever gone on an amazing vacation and you come home and it's fun to think about that vacation. It's fun to talk about it. It's fun to say, oh my gosh, we just went on a vacation and we did this and I went ziplining and I did that. And it just adds a little bit of spring to your step when you're doing that cool big dreams that, you, that you're dreaming about, small and big. And so I always, always urge people even if they have a lot of negative stuff that they're trying to deal with or they have a lot of stuff they're trying to juggle, to make room in their life for that stuff that, that seems a little bit crazy, that seems like a little bit of an adventure. And it doesn't have to be stuff that's expensive. It can be you know, things like uh, taking an afternoon off of work and going and spending it with your kids. It can be things like you know, taking those vacations. So many people don't take their vacation days, which I think is crazy. And and making a staycation out of it if, if you don't have um, the funds to go somewhere else. Doing things that are out of the norm so that you can reach some of those big dreams can have a huge impact because the energy in your life naturally shifts. You naturally start to feel more energetic and happier. And when you feel happy, your brain re- releases endorphins and oxytocin and all sorts of feel-good chemicals that start to, to naturally balance out the stress chemicals. So we need to be making time for ourselves, for our goals, for our dreams, and for fun stuff. Get out of the routine uh, of sort of the <laughs> drudgery of day-to-day. <laughs> right. I just, I'm going to mention something that I do, Kristen. I want you to take a minute here and talk about what you offer to people over at your website, but one of the things that I do to help people do that stress reduction as well as the um, changing the lifestyle from a lifestyle of perpetual maybe difficulty or, or um, failure to reach a goal or whatever, we do these 21-day wins where we take a reasonable chunk of something, either a habit, a small habit you want to change, maybe even a big habit. Uh, some people have overcome amazing habits. Um, or a project you want to complete in 21 days and we break it down to daily behaviors and for 21 days as a group we hold each other accountable to that and really help each other to do these 21-day wins. And this is as you start to do these over and over and you get this momentum going where you're just a winner. You're just always a winner. (laughs) You're always a winner. I love that. Right. It it changes things. It changes your perspective. Kristen, if somebody goes over to Happy Hour Effect, what are they going to find there? you are going to find a whole bunch of tools for reaching your goals and spinning stress into success. Most of my work is helping people do big stuff like starting businesses or writing a book. I also do life mapping. I'm a corporate speaker, and I help people in the workplace to have happier, healthier teams. Um, So you're going to find a lot of stuff. You can download some free happiness tools on my website and uh, lots of good stuff. I love happiness tools. What are some happiness tools? (laughs) One of them, one of them is how to gain an extra hour every day. Um, one of them is the 12 instant stress busters card that I mentioned earlier. So you're going to get some some good stuff that's going to have an immediate impact on just the way that you're walking in the world. It's going to give you a little a little extra happy boost with the happy hour effect. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for being here. Um, this what a fun hour we've had. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And thanks, everybody, for being here. I love this hour. You can learn more about Kristen Brown over at happyhoureffect.com. My website is marty.com. So fun to have you along with us every time you can make it. And you can always listen to the archives either at Blog Talk Radio or in the marty.com membership zone. Talk to you next time. Have a great day and a great week. Bye-bye.